The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. Remember, if you do invest in any publicly traded concern, you do so at your own risk. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. Today you'll be hearing from several publicly traded companies that as part of their fiduciary duty to grow their shareholder base, have hired us to expose them to our audience for potential investment consideration. I make no recommendations about whether or not you should consider investing in our client companies. That is entirely your choice. Before making an investment decision, I encourage you to do your own research on each company. All of our current sponsors are featured on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. You can click through their banners or logos to their website. You'll also hear from co-host Bob Lang as he joins our staff as interviewer. Let's begin the program. Join me now for a conversation with Scott Drever, the president of Silvercrest Mines, which trades on the OTCQX as STVZF. Silvercrest Mines is a Mexican precious metals producer with headquarters based in Vancouver, British Columbia. Their flagship property is the 100% owned Santa Elena Mine, which is located northeast of Hermosillo in the prolific state of Sonora, Mexico. The mine is a high-grade epithermal gold and silver producer. The company anticipates that the 2,500 tons per day facility should produce an average of approximately 800,000 ounces of silver and 30,000 ounces of gold per full production year from the open pit heat leach operation. Scott, welcome to the program. Ellis, thanks very much. For those that are either new to the program or not familiar with your company, please give us a brief background on Silvercrest Mines. Very quickly, my colleagues started this company in 2003. We set some very specific goals to go forward on. We wanted to establish a substantial precious metal resource base. We wanted to get the cash flow from production as quickly as we could, and we wanted to look for elephant deposits while we were doing that and probably preserve ourselves reasonably well as a potential takeover target. I think on those four objectives, we've certainly got three of those in place, and it looks like the results coming from La Jolla will probably fill that fourth objective. For the last several years, we've been really, really focused on the production side of things. The Santa Elena project that we picked up in 05, we've taken from dead stop through expiration, pre-feasibility, feasibility, construction, and of course this year declared commercial production earlier in the year. So that's gotten us to a fairly comfortable stage where we reached the production targets that we look for, which we're doing right now about 3,000 ounces of gold per month and about 30,000, 35,000 ounces of silver. So that'll give us a good steady cash flow platform to go forward on. I think our cash flow in the second quarter of this year is plus $3 million, and we're looking for that to increase over the quarters as we go forward. Now, Santa Elena, which is just northeast of Hermosillo in prolific Sonora State, Mexico, is your flagship property, but let's talk about the jewel, if you will. La Jolla in Durango, Mexico. What have you discovered there recently? La Jolla is a property, a project that we picked up September of last year, I think it was. Similar in circumstances to Santa Elena in that it's been around for a while. A number of people have looked at it, had difficulties dealing with the owners, but we've been able to overcome those things 
and we drilled our first phase of holes at La Jolla earlier this year and have just announced on Monday, I think, the results of at least one of the compilations that we've done. Our initial go-around at it looked at the high-grade silver, gold, copper values that we thought we could make a viable deposit out of. But looking at additional information that we acquired from one of the previous operators, we've been able to expand our horizon, if you will, and look at the possibility of a large bulk tonnage type of deposit. The results that we've seen have been really, really encouraging. Some of the holes are running 250 meters thereabouts of 55 to 60 grams of silver equivalent, which for people that, that don't think in grams is pretty close to an ounce and a half of silver. In over those kinds of width, it provides us an opportunity to consider a very large bulk tonnage operation. What sort of news do you think we may be able to expect over the coming 12 months or so? We will have a very steady news flow, I think, coming out of Silvercrest. Probably the next item would be an update on the exploration activities that we are undertaking right now. We've drilled a number of holes, uh, cruised a mile, which we're preparing for feasibility study to part of the expansion plan for Santa Elena. So those results will be available. We'll give people a better idea of the exploration program that we're undertaking at La Jolla. We'll have our financial statements reporting before the end of the month. And one of the most significant elements, I think, is the release of a 43-101 with the initial resource estimates at La Jolla. Then through the first part of next year, of course, there will be updates on the activities or the results of all of those programs. We're also going forward with the expansion plan at Santa Elena, which we expect will double the production there over the next three years. We'll be starting construction at some point in time on a 3,500-ton-a-day conventional mill. We're collaring an underground decline in January of next year to take us down to the bottom of the current deposit at Santa Elena and see what kind of reserves and resources we can develop there. So it's going to be a really, really active 12 months for us. It's quite prolific around Durango and Hermosillo. Mineral rich and polymetallic. You're very fortunate that you found the properties that you have. Are you going to be looking for more? Absolutely. As you say, it's a very prolific area. First Majestic Laparilla mine is just across the valley from us. The San Martin and Sabinas mines are probably 15 kilometers to the southeast of us. Those mines have been active in the same set of geology and types of mineralization that we have at La Jolla for probably plus or minus 300 years. So we're really in a great area. We've got some historical data that leads us in other directions, and those have identified probably three other targets around the results that we've just announced that we're really excited about. So we will take a look at that whole strip between La Jolla and San Martín and Venus just because of the prolific nature of that mineral zone. Scott, thanks very much for joining me today on the program. Absolutely my pleasure once again, Alice. Thanks very much. I've been speaking with Scott Drever, president of Silvercrest Mines. Silvercrest trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol SVL and in the U.S. on the OTCQX under the symbol STVZF. Find a link to their website on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. Contact our sponsor companies directly. They're on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. Lynn Brownlee, the president of Gold Rush Resources, joins us now for a conversation about his company's operations in Burkina Faso, West Africa. Gold Rush trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol GOD.V and in the U.S. on the OTCQX as GDRRF. Their flagship project is the Ranjen Gold Deposit.
deposit, where they have defined 249,000 ounces of 43101 compliant inferred gold. Extensive core and reverse circulation drilling was conducted in late 2010 that has significantly expanded the Ranjen deposit. The company's permits are all located in areas underlain by the West African Beremian Greenstone belts which have a prolific history of gold production in this area of the world. Len, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much, Ellis, for having me. Give us some background on Gold Rush Resources. Gold Rush Resources is an established Canadian gold exploration company. We've been around since 1966 in one form or another. Since 2006, Gold Rush has been exploring exclusively for gold in the country of Burkina Faso. It's a landlocked country. It's surrounded by Mali, Ghana, Niger, and Ivory Coast. It's very politically stable. In the last four years, six gold mines have been opened in that country. So it's gone from probably being behind in terms of fundamental exploration with modern techniques to now coming up to speed with many of its neighbors. And the attraction of it, aside from the political stability, is that the underlying rock types that are hosted in Burkina, which are termed greenstone belts, which are the host rocks for a lot of these gold deposits, are as prevalent in Burkina as they are in any of the better known gold producers in Africa. So Burkina has gone from zero commercial gold production to being fifth largest gold mining country in Africa in the last four years. Gold Rush has small deposit at this point that we did a preliminary resource estimate on, came up with about a quarter million ounces back in 2008. We've subsequently done quite a bit more work and are now looking to publish a updated resource estimate of around a half a million ounces in the new year, and we feel there's still much more potential beyond that. So that's our main project at a place called Rongen, and it's very well situated in the country. It's an hour by paved road north of the capital city of Ouagadougou. Ouagadougou, the capital city of Burkina, is actually about four hours direct flight from Paris. So getting to the properties is far away as they may seem to a North American listener, are actually quite easy as compared to getting to some of the properties you might have in the Yukon or Northwest Territories of Canada. So we find access has actually been very good to get to the properties. The ground itself, the road system, everything else is quite good in Burkina and allows it to move around quite freely. Beyond that, we have another 10 exploration permits that cover in total about 2,000 square kilometers of very prospective ground in Burkina. And these projects represent a pipeline of projects that go all the way from very grassroots exploration all the way to the development stage, which is where we're starting to get to with the wrong wind deposit. What are you looking at as far as the production target is concerned? There are several steps involved in moving an exploration project to production. Basically, you find a deposit, you define the size of that deposit, you do a pre-feasibility study to determine the economic parameters which you might be able to mine that deposit. If the PFS comes back positively, then you'll do a final feasibility study where typically the estimates that you're using in that study are within about 15%, so plus or minus 15% of actual cost. And with that document in hand, you can go to a bank and presumably they'll lend you the capital to build the mine. That whole process, if it were done at a mine, say, in Canada or the U.S. perhaps, can take anywhere from 10 to 12 years. In Burkina, many of the mines are being found and then developed in a relatively short time, probably five to seven years. With our Rongwin deposit, we're along the way towards a pre-feasibility study. We are redefining the size of the deposit, and then the next step will be a pre-feasibility study. So I would estimate that we still have two years to go 
two to three in order to put it into production. But it's a, a fairly straightforward process in Burkina to permit a mine. It's a mining-friendly jurisdiction, and they're certainly aware. They're a very poor country, so they're certainly very aware uh, of the benefits of getting foreign exchange into the country through the sale of gold. Compared to other companies doing business in the area, your share price may be undervalued accordingly. We would like to think that we're undervalued. There was an initial number of companies that came into Burkina, mainly Canadian companies, who came in sort of late 90s, early 2000s. We were sort of part of a second wave in around 2006, and we came in as a junior partner to a company called High River Gold. We subsequently separated from them. Subsequent to that, in about 2008, there was a real migration or influx of Australian companies into the country, and another wave of Canadian companies as well. So although we've only been there since 2006, we're actually one of the more established companies within the region. We have about 136 million shares outstanding right now, and we're trading around 15 cents. So our market cap is under 20 million, and we feel we're quite undervalued given the resource we have, the exploration potential we have, and the exploration team that we've assembled. Tell us about that exploration team. We've you know, assembled a, just a crack exploration team that has a lot of in-country experience. Our VP of uh, Exploration, Drift Cameron, very experienced guy and has been involved with the country for about 20 years. Our chief geologist, John Learn, has lived in Burkina since about 1998. And our country manager as well has been in the country since around 97, 98. Those three fellows combined have about five or six gold deposits to their name that they discovered within the country. Two of them are in production and the other three are well-defined deposits that will probably move towards production. Give us a little insight as to your background. I have a PhD in a science field. Unfortunately, it wasn't in geology, but I've kind of been attracted to mining exploration and administration of public companies for a long time. So I began administering public exploration companies in Vancouver back in about 1983. I've been in, involved in mining companies for a long time on the administration side and have received a, an education of uh, how these projects can be developed and, and run to production. And you're the glue that holds it all together, I guess. We pride ourselves on being a lean operation. We have over 40 people working in Burkina, but our head office structure is uh, very small. We have two offices, one in Vancouver, one in Toronto. How are you capitalized for your exploration efforts over the coming year? We've been very fortunate in that some of the larger precious metal funds in Canada have appreciated what we're doing. And so between Sprott Asset Management, CMP Gold Trust, Ravenson Alternative Management, uh, Dundee Precious Metals, we've been funded quite well over the last two years. I think we've raised about $8 million bucks. At current rate, we're around $2.3 million in the bank. We are drilling right now. We have four different exploration programs underway in which we're drilling at this time, and uh, all of them should be concluded by Christmas, and we look forward to a steady stream of good results into the new year. Len, I appreciate you joining us, and I look forward to visiting with you after you return from Burkina Faso. Well, thank you very much, Ellis. We uh, really appreciate the opportunity to be featured with you, and you know, I'm very excited about the potential for Burkina and also the potential for our company going forward. I've been speaking with Len Brownlee, president of Gold Rush Resources, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol GOD.V, and in the U.S. on the OTCQX as GDRRF. Listen to this segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. 
Ian Chalmers is the managing director of a company with significant assets of zirconium, rare earths, and rare metals, as well as gold and copper in New South Wales, Australia. Alkane Resources trades in the U.S. on the OTCQX as ANLKY. That's ANLKY. The Alkane story has been a compelling one, reflecting the success of their Dubbo Zirconia project and the international market for zirconium and rare metal resources. Ian, welcome back to the program. Uh, hi, Alice. Nice to be with you again. Now, you've been on the road a great deal lately. What have you been doing? I've just spent nearly two weeks in Hong Kong. There were actually three conferences there. There was a Daiwa, the big Japanese investment bank, had a conference where I was participating, followed by a mineral sands conference, zirconium titanium, and obviously because of our involvement in the zirconium industry, very important for us. And then followed up with a rare earth conference, which was very good also. Large attendances at both those two conferences. A lot of good information, you know, nowhere near the pessimism about the rare earth prices that the media seems to have jumped on it. The conference was very good in the sense that there was a far more optimism about the industry where it was going to go. But certainly prices are down, but they're still way, way above what they were even eight, nine months ago. And there was a great deal of optimism about where the industry was going to go. Speaking of zirconium and heavy rare earths, while you were on the road, your company released news about an ore reserve upgrade at Dubbo. Basically, uh, what we've done is publish an upgraded reserve statement for the Dubbo's account project. This is a very important step because reserves are a, a step above resources. Resources just define the material in the ground, whereas reserves mean that there's an economic imprint feasibility done on it. And so that 36 million tonnes that we've identified as open pitable reserves gives us at least a start-up or initial start-up mine life of 36 years. So it's a very important step with the project going forward. What is the potential revenue during that time period for the company? Substantial. Basically, the revenues are around about $500 million dollars a year. So if you take 500 million and multiply it by 36, you get something like 18 billion dollars revenue over that 36-year period. So it's a substantial project and substantial revenue generating capacities. Of course, it's not the actual profit. I mean, the cash flow out of that's about well, it's 300 million a year cash flow, which then multiplied by 36, you get something like 10 billion dollars a year cash flow over that 36 years. So yeah, it still is a, a very, very substantial. Return. That makes you a major player in any industry in Australia, correct? It does. Yes, it does. Yeah, it's certainly a major mining operation. And importantly for us, a very significant player in the zirconium industry and the heavier earth industry, which is you know, really where we've been targeting now for 15 years. When you're talking about that kind of revenue, what will you be doing with the money? It's a, it's, it's, a good, it's a good question, actually. I mean, we genuinely believe we can pay dividends. I mean, that's the board strategy. We've had it now for a number of years. We felt that when this project got up in production, that would be the capability. Again, once we've paid back all capital, facilities, etc., we're in a position to pay dividends, and major shareholders believe in that concept as well. So we genuinely believe we'll be a significant dividend-paying company. Now, you expect to be going into production with gold at the Tommingley project in 2013. Let's talk about that. There's a process for approvals, an environmental impact statement. There's a process that the state goes through, and one of the final stages is that it goes on what they call public display or public exhibition. So for 28 days, that environmental statement or that environmental report is available to the public. People can look at it, they can comment, they can lodge objections. So it's an important part of the process. And once that 28-day period is up, if there are no substantial objections, the state then usually approves the project to go ahead. If there are significant issues, then we have to come back and address them and make sure that we comply again. And eventually that goes back to the state, who then decide, have we complied? Have we met all the new conditions? So we were 
remain very confident the project has no other major environmental impacts. Pretty confident we'll get the final go-ahead sometime in the new year. It may be February, March before we get that go-ahead, but at least this is a, another big step forward. Well, you've got a great deal of work to do between Double and Tomlinley with the jobs you're creating for these two projects and those teams. How are you handling the infrastructure of the company itself? Again, important thing. I mean, historically, we've run two development teams, one for the Gold Project, one for the, the Zirconia Project, and those two teams are intimately involved with taking it forward. Now, obviously, when you go from conceptual feasibility study through to construction, the whole thing changes. So Alcane, over the next six months, will go through a transition where we'll take on senior employees to take the Tomingley project through development and then into production and then obviously put on all the operating staff when we're ready to go. With Dubbo, we're still a good 12 months away from getting to that point where we can start proceeding. We've got to get the financing in place, the approvals in place, and that should be uh, the target for that's by the end of next year. Then Dubbo will go through that next transition. Fortunately, the area we operate is an area with a substantial existing workforce. I mean, it's a major agriculture cultural region that also has a number of significant operating mines. So there is a good workforce that's already available and, and we don't really anticipate having difficulty getting the right people to, to run these projects. Now you mentioned financing. What kind of money do you need to get both these projects going? Are you going to the market for it or do you have other ways of raising the cash? With Tomingley, it's about $90 million Australian dollar capital cost. We have a $45 million facility on offer to us from Credit Suisse, the large international bank. The other $45 we'll have to raise and we're looking at the options of doing that and that probably will mean us going to the market at some stage to raise that $45 million. Now Dubbo said still 12 months out. The total capital for that was about $890 million, but on that $890 there's something like $180 million of that is made up of contingencies and EPCMs, add-on type things. So we think the actual real number will be closer to $750 or $800 for that project going forward. And right now there are a number of options available to us and one of them is a small strategic sell-down of part of the project and we think we can do that with an escalator to NPV value. So the current model has an NPV of $1.2 billion. We think we could sell 10% for maybe $200 or $300 million. Then there's, interestingly, quite a large amount of funding available from government agencies. And these are certainly Japan, Korea, European countries now are really putting up loan facilities to ensure that those countries get access to these strategic metals and applies to both the zirconium and the rare earths. To a lesser extent, Niobium, but it's still important. There's substantial funds available from those sources as well. And then finally, again, just normal commercial death than equity. And we've tried to target ourselves to being fairly minimal impact as far as the equity market is concerned. And we're trying to minimise the uh, the impact on the equity side of the business and, and get all the other financing applications or components in first. Rare metal prices are a bit depressed at the moment, but over the long run, that's certainly most likely not going to be the case. We remain very positive about the business, the whole business, the zirconium business particularly. There will certainly be a flat period now of maybe six months while we get through this latest financial situation. But as we go forward into the second half of 2012 and into 2013, we're very confident that the zirconium price will continue to escalate. The rare earths, it'll go through a transition over the next four or five years when the big producers like Molycorp, Linus come on stream. Some of the bulk volume rare earths like Lanthanum and Cerium, they may well come down further in price. But the key one, 
Dolphins, Neodymium, and then the heavies, Dysprosium, Terbium, Yttrium. I think those prices will remain strong for a long time, unless there's again a major change in the supply chain over the next 10, even to 20 years. So we remain very positive about this business and where we're going to be situated in it starting 2014. Ian, it's always great to catch up with you. I look forward to continued positive news coming from Dubbo and Tom Lee. Thanks for joining me today on the program. Thank you, Ellis. A pleasure as usual. Once again, I've been speaking with Ian Chalmers, President and Managing Director of Alkane Resources. Alkane trades in the U.S. on the OTCQX under the symbol ANLKY. Listen to this segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. I'm Bob Lang. We're talking with Mitch Adam, the President and CEO of Bonterra Resources Incorporated, trading on the Venture Exchange under the symbol BTR.V and on the bulletin board with the symbol BONXF. Bonterra has been one of the most exciting companies trading in the resource sector with respect to high-grade gold. Mitch, welcome back to the show. Hi, well, thanks for having me back. I understand there's big news from Bonterra. Yeah, we had a news release on a new sample uh, we have taken on our Bonterra Eastern Extension property. And uh, basically what we're doing is we're trying to increase our zone. So we started prospecting in the area and we hit an outcrop that assayed uh, 204 grams per ton gold and 25 grams per ton silver. And this would potentially increase our strike length to about 1.2 kilometers. And originally our strike was at about 500 kilometers. So very exciting times for us. We continue to drill. We continue to get spectacular assays and uh, we're building a nice little deposit here. Bonterra is doing an excellent job of hitting gold and proving great exploration skills. And you just announced this latest discovery. So now you have it. What's the next step? Well, I guess it's uh, first things first. I mean, we drilled our first hole on the property in November of last year, which really set us in motion and allowed us to raise money and get liquidity in the stock and, and get us excited about the project. And since then, we've drilled 15,000 meters and damn near every hole has encountered gold in the holes. And what's more important is our last few holes started to establish length and width in the zone. So that adds to tonnage. So our, our first order of business is to start doing an inferred resource calculation, which uh, we're in the midst of right now, and we're hoping to have sometime in November into the market a 43101 report with our new resource calculation. That calculation reflecting this new find, which is the highest gold grade discovered on the property to date, will potentially attract new investors. It would seem that the current share price is not reflective of this new assay, perhaps substantially undervalued. Well, yeah, totally totally undervalued, but it's been a very choppy market globally. You know, we would probably be higher value if the markets were in better shape. You know, we currently have 72 million shares out. We're trading at around 25 to 30 cents. Just to keep in mind, you know, if you find a million ounces of gold, the old model used to be $40 for inferred gold in the ground, so that would be a $40 million market cap. Uh, they now say it's more worth between $60 and $100 because gold's trading at $1,600 an ounce. That could add 60 to $100 million to our market cap, and we currently have about a $25 million market cap. So you know, our goal is just to keep drilling, keep adding tonnage, and keep growing this deposit into something that gets us a way higher valuation. So what is the effect of the new find on the overall holdings of Bonterra? Is more drilling planned for the near term? Well, basically what we've done is we've expanded our footprint. Our current drilling sort of expands out to a certain range that we can reach. And what we're doing is we're waiting for winter to hit and an ice permit, which we've just applied for. And then we'll go out and drill 10,000 meters. And what this, this recent find does is it also takes us on land up 
to the other uh, direction, which if you looked at our website and you looked at a property map, you can sort of see the, you can see the trend of the zone. It's a great discovery on our part. Uh, it really uh, widens our whole footprint on this property. The information you provide on your website, which you should be commended for, really provides lots of information. Do you think potential investors will be able to see the work we're talking about? Well, I, I certainly hope so. And what we're trying to do is focus, focus, focus and develop with what we have. A lot of the times people get confused with companies that are trying to do everything and completing nothing at all. So we realize we're onto something and we're spending, uh, you know, 150% of our attention on this asset. We believe it'll pay off for the shareholders. The best indication for in- information, I think, for the investor is to click on the PowerPoint presentation from soup to nuts. You get a good vision of what we're doing. This focus is on a property that is in Canada's richest gold region. Well, yeah, if you click on uh, on our website and you look at the region, the Abitibi Belt, you can see historic and current production of about 150 million ounces of gold, which accounts for about 81% of Canada's historic and current production. It's a very prolific region. Montera is showing great project execution. That would indicate you have a great team, too. Yes, we do. You know, we're well-funded and we're well-focused and, uh, yeah, we've got a great team behind us. Mitch, how do you follow up a home run like this? Just keep drilling and keep adding tonnage. Thank you, Mitch. We certainly share the excitement of the new discovery for Bonterra Resources. Thank you. Always happy to be on your show. Appreciate it. We've been speaking with Mitch Adam, the president and CEO of Bonterra Resources Incorporated, trading on the Venture Exchange under the symbol BTR.V and on the bulletin board under the symbol B-O-N-X-F. You can find a link to more Bonterra Resources information and a podcast as well at ellismartinreport.com. For the Ellis Martin Report, I'm Bob Lang. We offer expert opinions only. Find them on our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. Once again, here's Ellis Martin. Dudley Baker is the editor of PreciousMetalsWarrants.com. Mr. Baker has 35 years of accumulated knowledge and experience in trading stocks, options, leaps, futures, options on futures, and warrants. In March 2005, he founded and launched a new investment market data service, Precious Metals Warrants, which provides detail on all mining and energy company warrants trading on the U.S. and Canadian exchanges. As part of his service, he provides insights as to when insiders are buying and selling and issues buy and sell recommendations based on his research. Welcome back to the program. Good to be here, Ella. I'm very excited in that we have several new sponsors on the program, all resource companies, and I think it portends a very nice season coming up for potential investors in the market. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you. Something is starting to feel like, to me, that we've probably got the bottom in place. You know, and our listeners know, that I won't say vacillating back and forth, but the deal is it's been hard to pinpoint gold, silver, resource stocks is the bottom in. we got another big plunge to come. Is it ready to back up the truck and buy? This has been a difficult year, and I'm kind of sensing right now, after yesterday, we had a big plunge here, all the financial markets, gold and silver, on Monday, and I think gold was down 40, 50 at one time. I almost think that may have been the dagger, that may have put the bottom into place, and I'm starting to feel really good about where we're going from here. Once we're really, really comfortable, I think we've got some good times right in front of us. Obviously, resource companies are going to be looking at sites like yours with the Ellis Martin Report to get out their message, and we as well with our services. I'm excited about where we're going here. A lot of blue sky in front of me. Well, it's been my experience that the resource companies as a group, as a collective, they have a sense of where the market may be going. And when they have a sense that there might be some activity, then we tend to see more sponsorship with regard to our program. It's been an incredible year that way, and the market has been tumultuous, certainly, but it's exciting that there are plenty of potential opportunities out there. 
so many companies out there, and there's a lot of good ones, a lot of bad ones, a lot of great stories out there that are just not recognized right now in the marketplace. All those owners of those companies, the insiders, they've got to feel good about their own story, but they also kind of have to feel good about the market environment. And, you know, we're going to both be in San Francisco here for the Hard Assets Conference this coming weekend. I think we're going to sense a lot of excitement in the room. I think there's incredible turnout of companies. It's going to really be fun to get that sense of what is that level of excitement in the room. Everybody's looking to get their stories out, and I think everything's coming together here real quick. How do you pick a company to get behind with so many of them attempting to get their message into the market right now? We've just got our eyes open from all kind of different directions. Once we hear a name of XYZ Gold, the first thing that Dudley Baker does is I immediately look to see what are the insiders doing. I immediately go and I've got a great institutional service that I go to up to the minute for all of the resource companies and I immediately know what positions all of the insiders have without mentioning names but here's just one thing I like to follow. I know there's one company that will be presenting in San Francisco so I won't mention the name. A widely followed company looking the other day of their four top officers only one has any common shares that they own outright and that's only like 21,000 shares which is nothing. They all have some options but what does that tell you? It tells me they have no skin in the game. This is the CEO. This is the head financial guy. This is everybody. The top VP of exploration nor the exploration manager have one common share nor an option. What is their motivation to make that company fly? I want to feel like management's on board big time. And they've got a big vested interest in this company succeeding. When I found that detail, I said, man, there's no reason for me to touch that. Because I would be taking on a bigger position than any of the officers of that company if I was to step in and, and recommend that stock or buy it myself. I always look at, number one, when I get the name of a company that sounds interesting or, say, another analyst may be talking about or whatever, God, what are the insiders doing? And within five minutes, I've made a decision. I either want a piece of this or it's like there's no way in hell I'm going to touch this baby. I'm one of the few guys I know in the business that actually follows religiously insider transactions. Within our service, Ellis, I follow all the warrants, you know, that are trading U.S. and Canada and the resource companies. And then I've got a whole lot of common stocks in my portfolio. Every one of those stocks I've got plugged into a big portfolio where I monitor all the insider activity. Anything happens with an insider, I get an instant email. So it allows me to stay right up to speed, right up to the minute on what those insiders are doing. Pretty cool. So basically, a subscriber to your service can really count on you to do all the homework involved in vetting many of these companies. Well, that's what I always say that is the normal disclosure that we want everybody to do their own due diligence. You know, don't just take my word for it. But I mean, basically, once you get comfortable with my methodology and what I'm doing, obviously, you're going to feel like you can maybe rely on us a little bit more. Legally, you know, we always want that disclosure to be there so people can do take a look, etc., not just take our word for it. But we do know a lot of investors out there just tell me what to buy. You've done a pretty good job of this. Again, this has been a real choppy year, as you know, for all of the resource companies. If it's not already passed in the coming days or weeks, it's going to be time to really get excited about where we are and the future gains coming up. So anybody listening now, if they're not on board, not in these markets, I'd love to have all the listeners as subscribers to Precious Metals Warrants. But even if for whatever reason they choose not to, it's just about time to be in the game. So you need to get started and get excited and find out a way to get some good resource companies in your portfolio. 
course, you've got a lot of good sponsors, so this is a cool way to do it right here. Thanks for joining me today on the program. You bet, Alice. Adios. I've been visiting with analyst and newsletter writer Dudley Baker. Dudley's website is preciousmetalswarrants.com. Listen to this segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartreport.com. Want to make money in resource stocks? Stay informed with Resource World Magazine, covering the latest developments in mining, oil, and gas and alternative energy. Subscribe now to save half off the newsstand price. Simply visit resourceworldmag.com or call 604-484-3800. Or pick up the latest edition at select book and magazine outlets. Resource World Magazine, your insight into the world of resource investment. Join me now for a conversation with Lorne Waldman, the Corporate Secretary for Silvercore Metals Incorporated. Trading on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol SVM. Silvercore Metals is engaged in the acquisition, exploration, development, and mining of high-grade silver-related mineral properties in China and Canada. Silvercore is the largest primary silver producer in China through the operation of four silver-lead-zinc mines in the Ying Mining Camp in Henan Province. Lauren, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Ellis. Good to be here. I understand you had a significant revenue increase of up to 71%, and additionally, you're offering another 25% increase to your shareholders. Let's talk about that. Sure. You know, first of all, you know, we're really uh, excited to be able to announce a dividend increase. We've increased the dividend by 25%. This is the third time in the course of the last five years that we've increased our dividends and you know we think it's really important to uh, reward our shareholders and the loyalty they've shown to us with the payment of dividends but underlying all dividends there has to be real earnings and that's the important thing and you know we've had our quarterly analyst conference call where we uh, reviewed our uh, earnings for the last quarter the earnings were very strong our net income was up 49% and our cash flow from operations was up 140%. So, you know, those are the type of numbers that can allow you to support a growing dividend. Now, you predicted your revenue would grow, but how do you account for it? Well, you know, in this quarter, the revenue growth was partially due to increases in our production. Silver production was up, gold production was up, and if you mash them together on a silver equivalent basis, production was up 12%. Also, we are benefiting from stronger silver prices. Silver prices were up over 108% compared to this time last year. There are many investors who won't touch a company unless they're paying dividends, and you're actually doing it. Well, we are paying a very healthy dividend, and we've been paying dividends for five years, long before it was in vogue for resource companies to start paying dividends. We just think it's an important way to reward your shareholders. Yes, we focus on growth. We've demonstrated an excellent track record in growing our resources and our productions every year since we first began producing in uh, 2006. But that being said, besides growth, we do want to reward shareholders with dividends. What's next for Silvercorp in the coming year? Well, we have a lot of exciting growth opportunities coming up ahead. You know, one of the big projects we're working on, of course, is our new GC development property. We just commenced construction on that. The mine and mill should be completed around the end of June in uh, 2012, and we'll be able to start ramping up production there. You know, in addition to that, you know, we recently acquired the uh, XBG project, which is right near to our Ying mine, so we'll be able to be starting to get some production from there. And we have the new BYP project going. So you know, we have an, a number of items in the pipeline which should allow us to continue to grow our production 
as well as our resources. On the resource side, you know, in China alone, we have 241,000 meter drilling program that's currently ongoing this year. And so we're uh, looking forward to seeing some positive results from that drilling program. What's happening in North America, in Canada specifically? Well, in North America, we have our silver tip project. That's a silver lead zinc project in northern British Columbia. Right now, our focus there is on applying for a small mine permit, which would allow us to establish a 75,000 ton per year operation. But even before we get that going, we hope to be getting a bulk sample permit, which would allow us to mine at 60,000 tons per year. And that could start as early as, you know, within the next mining season, so as, as early as next June. The nice thing at the Silvertip project is a high-grade project. If you look at the resource, you know, you're looking at grades of around 400 grams per ton silver and around 18% lead zinc, but there's even higher-grade pockets closer to 700 grams per ton silver and 27% lead zinc. With those type of grades, you can ship it directly from the property to our mills in China, and it would still be very profitable. Speaking of profit, what do you intend on doing with your large treasury? You know, we have $176 million in cash and no long-term debt at the end of September. So we're basically using that to finance our existing capital expenditure plans, and so that includes things like building new tunnels, at our existing Ying Mining Camp, also funding the development of the GC project, expanding BYP. In total, we have around 70 million of capital expenditures budgeted for the current fiscal year. In addition to that, a big part of Silvercorp's growth strategy is to grow through acquisitions, and so we're always looking for good, high-grade, underground precious metal projects that we can bring into production quickly and with relatively limited capital. You've been trading on the New York Stock Exchange for a while and your share price has been recovering nicely lately. Do you believe there's still room for upside in this tumultuous market? Well, you know, I don't like to comment on the share price. You know, I encourage investors to take a look at Silvercorp. But when you're comparing Silvercorp to our peers, what you need to remember is that Silvercorp is the low-cost producer. And in any commodity business, at the end of the day, you want to be the low-cost producer. And that's one of the key advantages you have when you're investing in a company like Silvercorp. In addition, you know, you're getting a company that has a very entrepreneurial management team and a terrific track record of success and building value for its shareholders. Lauren, once again, I thank you for spending time with me today on the program. I appreciate your being here. Thanks a lot, Alice. Lauren Waldman is the Corporate Secretary of Silvercorp Metals, trading on the Toronto Stock Exchange and the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol SBM. Listen to the segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. I'm Bob Lang. Today, we're privileged to talk to Anthony Garcia, Senior Vice President of Texas Rare Earth Resources Corp. Texas Rare Earth Resources Corp. has a primary focus of exploring and developing its round-top rare earth beryllium uranium project, which also includes other rare earth elements as well. 
The Round Top Project is located 85 miles east of El Paso, Texas, and independent data indicates the property may contain approximately 1.6 B as in boy billion metric tons of host rock, containing rare earth minerals with potentially a 70% ratio of heavy to total rare earth minerals. The company believes a potentially large, high-grade beryllium mineralization and a uranium mineralization is also present in the deposit. The company's stock trades on the OTC bulletin board under the symbol TRER. Anthony Garcia is one of the key members of the team, with an extensive background in project engineering and development with major players in the industry, such as Bechtel and Newmont Mining. Anthony, welcome to the show. There's a lot of news coming out this month from Texas Rare Earth Resources. Tell us about it. One of the key things that's happening for us right now to move our project forward is we've just recently received our approval from the Texas General Land Office for our new drilling program. And, and that really excites us. In fact, it's allowed us to bring on, we have a second rig coming on. It is actually on site now and drilling, and we're moving forward with that. And In fact, we're also in the bidding process at the moment to bring on a complete coring rig in January so we can just move this project as fast as we possibly can in terms of the drilling aspects. What we're doing right now, all this work, the chemistry and our drilling program, is really focused on us getting a preliminary economic assessment out by you know, Q2 2012. We just had our kickoff meeting with Gustafson Associates for advancing our preliminary economic assessment for Round Top Project. And we're really quite excited to have Gustafson associated with us. They're a very quality company. They have a lot of mining experience. And in fact, another part that's really exciting to me is part of their team actually is currently working on other rare earth opportunities. And also, they are providing good value direction on some of the different things that we may want to consider changing that could even make us even a faster track type project. So, like I said, we're really quite excited about it. Gustafson's also providing us expertise because obviously we, we need some of this in terms of doing some of this high-level economic models for the rare earth elements. So we want to make sure that we're doing everything well now so that we don't have anything going forward that we're going to step our toe on. Now, with the hiring of Gustafson, you're not just putting a fine focus on the future financial scenarios, but you're also speeding the process to get there. And based on my understanding about them, they'll also be able to help you with environmental concerns and government regulations and compliancy. Is that right? That's exactly right. By bringing in people like this early, we're kind of de-risking our own study process. We're trying to look positively forward. By bringing in professionals like this, we're going to be as efficient as we possibly can. And it's not just in terms of time, it'd also be in terms of dollars spent. So so the company's bringing that information faster with higher quality and with more financial efficiency. Texas seems to be a good place to do business. Uh, they seem to really understand the mining industry. Do you find that to be the case? Yes, they do. They're a cooperative state. And when we were sitting down with Gustafson running through our high-level schedules, it was actually interesting that the potential exists to be able to move this project forward on an accelerated schedule because we are in Texas. The key aspects that we have to watch out for there obviously still are the chemistry. So the metallurgical results are, are, are some of the most important aspects of it. But as soon as we get through that, we got to start moving and doing the permitting aspects of this. We actually believe with the team of people that we're building right now that we have a very good opportunity to be very competitive in terms of time and in dollars going forward. It looks to me your company's current approach to the Roundtop project really couldn't be better. I actually feel very lucky to be have a project that is in the state of Texas because it really does give you that much of an advantage over any place else in the world right now. One of the other things that's happening in our near future is um, we'll be doing a presentation at the Tomazos conference up in Boston. 
this is a great opportunity for us once again to go out there, show us where our, show people where our project's going, what kind of potential value we're going to have, what our timeline is, and so we can actually project our vision out there to the markets. That's just good news all around. We've been speaking with Anthony Garcia, Senior Vice President, Texas Rare Earth Resources Corporation. The company's stock trades on the OTC Bulletin Board under the symbol T-R-E-R. Anthony, thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. Okay, well, thank you so much for your time. Greatly appreciate it. Remember, you're urged to consider closely the disclosure in the company's latest reports and registration statements filed with the SEC before investing. You can find a link to more Texas Rare Earth Resources information at ellismartinreport.com. The Ellis Martin Report, I'm Bob Lang. We offer expert opinions only. Find them on our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. IBC Advanced Alloys Corporation is a worldwide manufacturer and supplier of advanced materials and other intermediate products with a focus on rare metals or beryllium-related alloys, as well as non-ferrous alloys, for a wide range of industrial applications, including nuclear power, oil and gas, defense, electronics, and automotive. IBC has 65 employees and while headquartered in Vancouver, Canada, has facilities in Pennsylvania, Indiana, Massachusetts, and Missouri. IBC trades on the Canadian Venture Exchange under the symbol IB.V. Join me now for a discussion with IBC President Anthony Dutton. Anthony, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. Good to be here. For the benefit of those listening for the first time, give us some background on IBC Advanced Alloys. IBC is a unique company, Ellis, that was started in 2007 to take advantage of the huge demand in rare earths, rare metals, specialized materials. And we realized very, very quickly that while it's one thing to have a deposit, it's one thing to have a manufacturing company, it's much, much more important that you have a vertically integrated company. So that's how we conceived of the company and that's how we structured the company. And we now are the only Brillium and Brillium Alloys Pure Play company on the market that's vertically integrated right through from exploration to mining to processing to manufacturing. Uh, we've seen our revenues grow over the last three years from 12 million to just under 15 million and we'll be publishing our 2011 numbers literally next week and I think the market is going to be very impressed with what we've been able to achieve in some pretty difficult circumstances. Our order book is extremely strong. We are leading the R&D area on brilliant related research topics. We are currently engaged in a significant exploration program on our Utah properties, which are next door to the world's largest beryllium mine. So we are firing on all fronts, on all cylinders, and looking forward to the future with great anticipation. How tightly are you connected to uranium? Well, we are connected with uranium in a certain part of our company. As I said, we have an R&D initiative, and that R&D initiative is looking at ways of using beryllium oxide to improve the safety and the economics of the nuclear fuel industry. We're working on that R&D initiative with Purdue University, Texas A&M, and then also with a joint venture with GNF, which is GE, Toshiba, and Hitachi. And this research is about adding small parts, about 5% beryllium oxide to the uranium to improve, as I said earlier, the safety and the economics of nuclear fuel. And this has been really well received over the last few months, especially after the tragedy in Fukushima, which was a direct result of the fuel not being able to cool down as efficiently as it could do if it was manufactured with beryllium oxide. So in that sense, we're very closely related to uranium. On the manufacturing side, we have no connection to uranium at all. We manufacture beryllium copper alloys and beryllium aluminum alloys, which are used in a range of high-tech applications such as aerospace, automotive, oil and gas, high-technology manufacturing. So in that 
sense we have no relationship to uranium. Doubling back to what you said about vertical integration at the beginning of this interview, essentially everything that you're mining out of the ground, you're taking care of the offtake. You're the end user. Very few mining companies can claim this sort of vertical integration. Well, that was critical to us when we began this company back in 2007, that we controlled every element of the value chain. And in the rare earths and in the rare metal sector, this is especially critical because the markets don't behave the same as, say, the markets for copper or gold or iron ore, where you can effectively sell what you process or sell what you mine. In the more exotic metals, these critical metals, they are sometimes known as, you have to control every element of the value chain. And most importantly, you have to own the customer. So in our case, we've put a lot of time and effort into developing relationships with our end users that include people like Boeing, FMC, Schlumberger, Honeywell, major Fortune 500 companies that are our clients. And then we can filter that relationship if you will, right back up through the value chain to our mineral properties. We're currently not yet mining, but we will have the opportunity to do so and to process that or as we grow the company. Tell us, Anthony, if you don't mind, how you accomplish closing a $3.45 million bought deal financing in this particular market we're in right now. Well, thanks for bringing that up, Ellis. We're pretty proud of that. And I think really all that does is underscore the confidence that certain investors have in the future of IBC. And when I say certain investors, it's basically everybody who hears our story. But we are now in the process of telling our story, so not everybody is familiar with it. But for those people who have sat down and taken the time to listen to our presentation, understand how we've put all the pieces together, see the potential of a company, see the size of our market, understand how we're growing our revenues and what I said earlier is a very difficult economic climate. I think they're realizing that a 20 cent financing for us is incredibly cheap and therefore getting in on a bought deal basis was even just one more feather in our cap. We're very proud of that and wanted to thank Euro Pacific for having led this financing on IBC's behalf. You've got an interesting entry point at the moment if someone is considering becoming a shareholder at 16 cents. Absolutely. We're seeing a little bit of softening in the market overall. I think this is still a reflection of uncertainty around how the whole sovereign debt mess is going to sort itself out in Europe, and we've got generally weak markets right across the board. But with that backdrop, as I said, we've completed a financing close this morning at price higher than the market, which is in itself unusual. And on the actual fundamentals of the company, as I said, we're going to be putting out our financials on Monday. I think everybody's going to be pretty impressed with the numbers that we're going to put out there. I can tell you categorically today that our order book has never been stronger. We are increasing our orders on a month-to-month basis. And, you know, as far as we're concerned, the recession is obviously a reality of our world, but we are still finding ways to make our business grow. We've increased our employees over the last 12 months and have made some pretty significant hires. So we're aware of the fact that it's a difficult economy, but we're forging ahead. And I think that when the economy does turn and the confidence returns to the market, we're going to be an extremely well-received story. And what new people to the story may not know is that you're a manufacturer, you're profitable, and you're in the U.S. as well. Exactly. One of the things that has been a challenge for us, I'll come right out and say that, Ellis, is a lot of people who look at us, they think of us as a junior exploration company with some interesting resource properties, and they don't understand that we're a vertically integrated company that's generating in excess of $20 million a year in revenues and growing. And as I said earlier, for the people who sat down and taken the time to understand who we are, understand how the pieces fit together, they can see how that $20 million could be $50 million, could be $100 million in the not-too-distant future. 
future. One of the companies that we've been very favorably compared to, and I take this as very, very flattering, is a Canadian company called Neo Materials, which uh, 10 years ago was obviously much smaller than it is today and had a resemblance to who we are today. They had revenues of about what we have today. They had a market cap of about what we have today. And uh, now they're in the revenues in the hundreds of millions of dollars and have a market cap that flirts with a billion dollars, depending on the day. So that's the kind of growth that we aspire to. That's the kind of growth that we know is possible. And that's the kind of growth that we're focused on. And that's the kind of growth that we've been delivering for the last 36 months in what is probably the most difficult economic climate since the 1930s. Well, Anthony, it was a great pleasure speaking with you today. You certainly have an upbeat story. Thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you very much, Alice. For people who want to learn more, please visit our website at ibcadvancedalloys.com or feel free to contact me any way you can. IBC Advanced Alloys trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol IB.V and in the U.S. as IAALF. That's IAALF. Listen to this segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. Getting hungry? Eat knowledge. Find it at ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. You've just heard opinion, commentary, and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment. They paid us for the privilege. Invest at your own risk and only after doing extensive research. Find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 